Hello there, Joanna. Hello, Nate. And hello to all of you. This is Stranger Than, a podcast discussing the weird, the macabre, the creepy, the mysterious, the unsolved, and lately, cults. Yeah, it's been a month of cults. It has been. We talked about Rajneeshism before, and this time we are going to talk about the People's Temple. It's a big one. It's a big one. James Thurman Jones was a World War I vet who had suffered mustard gas and was living on disability pay from the government. Mustard gas, or sulfur mustard, is some particularly nasty shit. Oh, man. Before the war, it was used topically to treat psoriasis. Oh, nice, because back in the day, they really loved to use poison to treat things. Yeah, yeah. It was also used by the Central Powers during World War I to fuck up the Allies. It's heavier than air, so it would just roll out onto the battlefield and then into trenches. And it just, and it really fucked you up. If it didn't outright kill you, uh, you ended up blinded from it or just having all sorts of, um, you know, permanent damage due to it, permanent lung damage. Oh, yeah. In, in cold temperatures, it can remain in the environment for around a month. And, in, I mean, it's not particularly warm over there in no, Europe. No, especially, time. yeah, in the mm-hmm. middle of winter. In normal weather conditions, it'll stick around for a day or two. So even in the normal times, it sucks. It was so terrible that they banned it like with the geneva convention like you know you can't use it anymore no it causes blisters when it touches the skin it it blisters the lungs when you inhale it it actually breaks down your dna additionally this doesn't happen right away it can take from a couple hours to a couple days for you to start showing symptoms however it wasn't as much of a killer as one would expect only about five percent of those exposed and then given medical attention died Nevertheless, the long-term effects were horrific. Scarring, blindness, respiratory problems, and, of course, cancer. Mm-hmm. He was also described as emotionally distant, which makes quite a bit of sense, as he was probably drowning in PTSD. Yeah, a little shell shock going on there. Oh, a lot of shell shock, I'm sure. And then mental health care in those days was treated as even more of a joke than it's treated today. Yeah. He was also involved in the Ku Klux Klan. So, oh, okay. You know. Fuck him, I guess, also. <laughs> Whether he was a member or just an enthusiast, I'm unsure, but he's involved with the KKK. He's probably a pile of shit. The neighbors were pretty sure that his much younger wife, Lynetta, was going to hell. Straight to hell. She had was she was one of those independent types who, gasp, didn't believe in God. She didn't believe in God. She worked for a living. Well, because, I mean, all she's got is her husband's disability check. Yeah. So... And she was kind of a socialist, I believe. Yep. Know, she was she was a fan of socialism. And she just didn't really give a shit about really what anybody else thought anyway. So that mm-hmm. worked out fairly well for yeah. her. Yeah, and that's the kind of person that, like, you know, stupid fucking neighbors just hate. Oh, yeah. Is the kind of person. <laughs> is, is exactly somebody... the type of people yeah. that they were. <laughs> Neither one of these people really had much time for a son. So it was fairly unfortunate that they had a son. The father was emotionally not there and mom was always at work. Later in life, their son, James Warren Jones, Jim, would say, I didn't have any love given to me. I didn't know what the hell love was. He was born in 1931 on May 13th in Crete, Indiana. 
Living during the Depression was shitty. Jim spent his time reading, going to school, and going to church. Yes. Now, he didn't really want to do the things that the other kids do. He was kind of a social outcast. Didn't get a lot of attention from his parents, as you just said. And his uh, son theorizes that, I mean, that's where his his kind of, he, he was just had this like hideous gaping void of need to um, have people pay attention to him. Yeah. And that just kind of manifested and uh, grew did. over over the years and it but it probably all kind of started there yeah he didn't have a lot of friends his parents didn't pay any attention to him but he loved the church or churches he was actually several he to, went to several yeah he went to like five different churches he would go to one and he would do all the stuff and learn all the things and then mm-hmm. get bored and move on to the next and do the same thing yeah, well, he noticed that, that you know, that there's one guy there that's getting all the attention. Yep. And so he studied, you know, what were they saying? Uh, like the like the hardcore Baptists and the Pentecostal, like super hardcore. It's like, yeah. what, are, what are they doing to make these people like, you know, collapse and speak in tongues? And like, how is he keeping their attention and causing them to be so enthralled? Uh, another thing that was interesting about his childhood was that. uh World War Two was going on when he was a young boy, and when the boys wanted to play war, they the other boys always wanted to be on the Allied forces, you know, the good guys. Yeah. But Jones wanted to be Hitler. And oh yeah. He loved Hitler. He didn't love his ideologies, but he was fascinated by the way Hitler spoke. Oh right, because Hitler was a good orator. Oh yeah, he. Just thought that it was the coolest thing ever, the way he was just able to capture all these people's attention and just get them to do whatever he bade them to do. And he wanted he wanted he wanted that. Yeah. Some people who knew him in his childhood described him as being obsessed with religion and death. Mm-hmm. His little funerals he had for roadkill. Yep. Yep. And mm-hmm. one person even said uh, he stabbed a cat to death. Yeah, I didn't read much about that but uh i did find the fake funerals very interesting yeah. that he's just like you know he he had a flair for the germanic and he's just putting on these big elaborate funerals for animals that were killed by the side of the road yeah he also super weird in high school did a mock funeral service like in like the gymnasium for the opposing high school's basketball team right before the game yeah yeah a little bit uh Scaring him up, scaring him a little bit. I bet. I, like, what I, the you know, fuck I didn't. Is that kid I wasn't doing? able to read and see if they won the game or not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but everyone said he was pretty on point with it. He he managed to capture everyone's attention. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> At some point during Jim's childhood, his parents divorced, and he ended up moving in with his mother. Obviously, he's not going to stay with the father, especially not at these times. No. They moved to Richmond, Indiana. And this is where he ended up graduating high school. He graduated December of 1948, early, and with honors. So he wasn't dumb. No, very smart. He got married the following year to a nurse named Marceline Baldwin, who he had met while working as an orderly at the same hospital. They moved to to Bloomington, Indiana, where he started college in 1951 at Indiana University, Bloomington. They then moved to Indianapolis, where he attended Indiana University, and then took classes at Butler University. He worked as a student pastor for a time at a Methodist church in 1952. Uh, now, at this time, segregation was still in full effect. Oh, yeah, the Jim Crow laws were just 
there still. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it was Which a big was, thing. Yeah, bad. And him, for all of his flaws, was not racist. No, I think that was a thing that was actually genuine about him. That was one of the very genuine things about him is that he really did think it was wrong yeah that people should be uh segregated and judged by the color of their skin um yeah i i 100 percent think that he wasn't he wasn't faking that no no he wasn't he truly believed that and that was the reason he stopped preaching at these churches because they were segregated and yeah he did not want that at all that's kind of what had him Start his own church. Yeah, the very first integrated church in the state. So that's pretty crazy. It is. He actually imported monkeys and sold them door to door in order to fund that church. That's right. Door to door monkey salesman. I would be really shocked if somebody knocked on my door and offered a monkey for sale. All right. Is the man of the house home? <laughs> I've I got mean, a monkey for sale. Encyclopedias, Bibles. Cleaning products, even. Monkey. Monkeys. Monkey. I wonder what the monkeys did. Like, you know, were they like helper monkeys or? No, they don't make <laughs> helper monkeys. They just did monkey shit. <laughs> Masturbated, threw poop, caused a fucking ruckus. Hopefully didn't murder anybody. You remember that movie Monkey Shine? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a helper monkey that went all crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I would. I it's kind of a help. terrifying movie when you I think I wouldn't about want it. to help people. This guy's all like paralyzed and shit. Oh man, I don't. I don't think I've seen that movie. Yeah, it's about a guy who's like paralyzed and he gets a fucking helper monkey. Only the helper monkey is like evil. That sounds like a very unfortunate thing to happen. Yeah, gotta watch it. So Jim was 24 when he started his own congregation. It's that's pretty a, young. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, selling monkeys to buy a church and start your congregation by 24. The church was first called Wings of Deliverance. I believe it went through a couple other names before it finally reached People's Temple. In 1960, the People's Temple joined with the Disciples of Christ. The Disciples of Christ go back to the late 1800s, early 1900s. It's just some kind of Protestant brand Christianity. I'm not really sure much about them besides Mm -hmm. that. Uh, Jim was pro-communism and pro-racial equality. And he drew a lot of... um, He drew a lot of followers because... It was a it was a really radical thing and an awesome thing to have the first integrated church. And he didn't there. tell anyone about his communism. No, no, that 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 kind of came later. He kind of introduces that a little bit later. And and I think although he was a believer in some of it, I'll I'll kind of get into the reason why he chose to kind of go down that path. Not only had he established the first racially integrated church, he was on the um, Human Rights Commission. And he had desegregated movie theaters, restaurants, the telephone company, and the police force. Crazy so to think. He, he was really was, I mean, he was doing it wasn't good just things. within his community. It just wasn't within his church. He was out there in the community making it happen. Doing good things. I yeah, mean, that, doing that good is things. good. It's objectively good. Did you know that he is the one who actually kind of dubbed the phrase rainbow family? Yeah, I did, because that's that's what he referred to his family as, because right. they adopted some kids. He and Marceline adopted a part Native American child named Agnes, three Korean children, Stephanie, Lou, and Suzanne. And then in 1961, they were the first white couple in Indianapolis to adopt a black child, whom they named James Warren Jones Jr., Jim Jr. They had one biological son whose name was Stephen Gandhi. 
And then they later adopted a, another boy, a, a white son named Tim from somebody in the People's Temple. So I wonder how coerced that adoption was. Right, <laughs> right. And there were some other children that were, um, he was alleged to be the father, like, later on. Right, right. Um, not not officially with, like, his last name, but he, he did hold on to him pretty tight. And They had the same glasses as he did. <laughs> right. A lot of the people that attended the church uh, were really devoted to him. Yeah. A hundred percent. And eventually though, he knew he had to kind of, you know, he wanted to expand and it was, he'd kind of outgrown Indiana. Before leaving Indiana for good, he did pop down to Brazil for a bit just to kind of see what was going on down there, seeing if he could get a bunch of followers. Mm -hmm. And he, it didn't really work out very well. I mean, they didn't have a lot of money and so they moved uh, into just like the shittiest places and people just, it just wasn't working out for him. And then he also felt really guilty about leaving Indiana before he'd finished the civil rights fight. So he mm -hmm. went back. He ended up only being gone from 1961 until 1963. In 1965 though, he does make the move over to California. He had a vision. There was going to be nuclear war. Mm -hmm. Better get to California. Well, it was named actually. Well, Brazil was actually named a really safe place yep. in case of nuclear war. And yep. also California was. So. Well, damn, Jim Jones, Brazil is not a safe place now. <laughs> no, it is not. And it's hard to kind of separate like, OK, did he really buy into the whole nuclear war thing? And that's why he was doing it. Or was he just trying to get to a bigger place? And this was a great way to because he wanted to take a lot of his followers with him. But I oh, mean, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot for you to pick up and move just for your church. Yep. Yep. Like, oh, my pastor is leaving and going to California. Maybe I'll just pick up my whole life and move across the country. Like, that's a lot. So I but think if the nukes are going to come. Right. But if, definitely hit Indiana. If we're going to be a hot safer spot. because nuclear holocaust is imminent, then that's that gives you a whole nother reason. So I think he no matter how much he actually believed it himself, he definitely utilized it to get his, a lot of his followers to come with him. Yeah. And it was supposed to happen on July 15th, 1967. Oh, is that, that when the end was supposed to come? That's when the nuclear mm. holocaust was supposed to happen. Clearly it didn't. No, it did not. As we've <laughs> talked about before, the end of the world doesn't tend to happen. Or at least not when you think it is going to. It hasn't yet, anyway. So they moved to California, U Ukiah, California. Mm-hmm. The Redwoods. Yep, they continued doing their good deeds, helping out alcoholics and drug addicts and then the poor and the homeless and all that kind of stuff. Now, this time they were starting to be focused less on the bible and more on the social justice and racial equality also when he moved to california his congregation changed quite a bit it was still very much uh racially diverse and integrated and that's what drew a lot of the new members the previous members were were kind of like the poor down and out. Oh, yeah, because he was, yeah, like the ghetto in Indianapolis or whatever. So. Right. Well, and I mean, Indianapolis isn't just a, a very affluent place I can't imagine. Indiana with. seems like it's kind of a, I don't know, I've never been to Indiana, but that doesn't seem like there's it's much going on It's kind of economically depressed, yeah. I would say. I mean, not to be a but, dick to the right, Indianapolis, no. <laughs> the in Indianans, the people from Indiana. However, California is full of rich people. Oh, yeah. California's got a lot of rich people. Many rich people. So... Among the new followers were new black members who were already well-established in the civil rights movements. 
Plus a lot of these, you know, the kind of like white elite, uh, you know, very educated, very wealthy, but also very progressive. Yeah, the the liberals, basically. Yes, exactly. His congregation grows threefold. So within a few years, he expands a branch out to San Francisco. Now I have a quote from Jim Jones. It won't be my first, but. <laughs> <laughs> Dude said a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of things to say, that man. When you reach the top, you've got to play the part. Oh, yeah. I've heard that one. Mm-hmm. He told one of his old friends that. He did. He did. Because his friend had kind of asked, you know, what's the deal with your dark glasses and having, like, the bodyguards? And, the suit. And that was, yeah. The suit, the bodyguards, the glasses. And that was his response. And he definitely had a, I would say, reached the top once he got to California. Oh, and, yeah. And once he had the San Francisco branch going, I mean... Shit was just blowing up all over the place. And he was active all over. I mean, he was active politically. Oh, yeah. He was huge politically. He it's was very uh, notorious. They participated in a lot of uh, political activities. Rosalind Carter actually recruited him at one point because she was campaigning for her husband, who was going, you know, soon Jimmy to be president, Carter. Jimmy Carter. Peanut farmer. <laughs> So she was going to have this rally going, but the attendance, not so great. Yeah, that, that can happen. That can happen, as we've seen recently. Yes. <laughs> she calls up Jim Jones, and he's like, yeah, no problem, Rosalind Carter. Roz, he, I got you, Roz. I got you. He loads up. He By this time, he has like a whole fleet of like Greyhound buses, and he loads up a bunch of members, and boom, you got like three, four hundred people to show up at a rally and then it's a big success you Something know the press can take their picture and show like how great it was and what a wonderful turnout it was and she was so appreciative of it that he got to um he was invited and got to attend the inauguration of jimmy carter that's something else that's a big thing to get oh yeah invited to the inauguration. not just anyone gets to do that no that is some real like inner circle shit yeah yeah and it's interesting, like, all the members of the church, there's a lot that they put up with. I will get into that in just <laughs> yeah. one second. It yeah. was not all, it was not all fun and games. And everyone, though, that I watched in, in various documentaries and interviews and read things from, they all felt like they were making a difference because they were. They were doing these wonderful things. And they were the actually community. making a difference. Yeah, I mean, they were like, actually they were. making you can a see difference. The they difference. could. They could go to sleep at night knowing that they'd helped others. And a lot of them said that, you know, the first time they stepped into that church, they just felt like they were home. Yeah. And you can see how you, you get drawn into something like that. It's it's wonderful to feel like you have purpose and that you're doing good in the world. I think a lot of us are looking for ways to I think have most people are. Yeah. and. I think a lot of times we get depressed because we feel like we aren't, you know, anything significant and we aren't making our mark. And yeah, because we're just like doing some bullshit job, going home and going home and watching just being friends so fucking or whatever wiped out and tired from it all that, you know, we just we're, we lose our way. And then you find a place like this and you feel like you're just put on the right path and that you're making a difference. Suddenly you're out there and you're with yeah. like-minded people and mm -hmm. you're, and especially at this time, you know, you're making actual changes. And yeah. It must've felt great. So great that 
they put up with a lot for quite a long time. Yeah, around now, I believe, was when he started going by the prophet, too, right around the 70s. Yeah, and he also started making everyone call him father. Yeah, that's weird. Father and his wife had to be called mother. He was... There, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, there were some pretty fucked up things going on, and this is when it's really like kind of hardcore. He starts preaching socialism, 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 and it was kind of that way the whole time. But he had disguised it mm-hmm. as as God, and yeah, he he would find quotes from the Bible that kind of um, backed up the you know communism or socialism ideals. But now he was just openly advocating socialism, so. I want to get to the, this is where I call like the ugly side of things. The so ugly here's all side the great things. things that was going on with yeah. up until this <laughs> the people's point, temple. Up until this point, you're, I mean, if you know where this ends, you're wondering how does it get to the point where it ended? Because at this point they're doing good stuff. Right. Well, and here's I think this why. happens with cults a lot where it's like, you know, there's so many things that look good on paper, and <laughs> but then end up, yeah, there's like, so, there's always like this fucked up dark side, like... Then the paper rips. Mm-hmm. Socialism. Well, it seemed that he really did believe in the benefits of a socialist society. It wasn't about equality for all for him. No, it probably was not. Yeah. Also about control. Yeah, that's so centering the church around a socialist model helped to isolate the members from outside influence. Because as he, as the church grew and his power grew, it just whatever darkness was within him they grew as well started slipping started slipping and his need to control the members and to have the adoration of his members and to just be kind of like this you know omnipotent being yeah Yeah, within the church it just that need just grew and grew and grew and just could never be satisfied so maybe it's christmas and you want to go visit your parents I don't know if that's such a good idea. Maybe right. you should just go visit some other people that are in the people's temple. And, you know, that, right. that would and be And what good. do you want presents for anyway? You're, maybe, you're just being a slave to consumerism. Maybe you should just kind of give me all your money and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take care of it so you don't need to even deal with that. You don't need that stress. Right. I'll take that's that stress on for you. what being free is, is to free yourself of all these things. Let your father free you. And are you willing to make that sacrifice for you know, the good and the equality of mankind? Or are you just going to like sit here and be selfish over your, your own desires and needs? Oh, here's my checkbook. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Excuse me for being so terrible. Yeah. And a lot of members also express this as, as things got more and more fucked up, they weren't necessarily looking to him as the reason they were being fucked up. They were, they were starting to look to themselves like what, well, what can I do better yeah, a truly. What am, what am I doing wrong here to to uh, not be happy or to? Yeah, truly emotionally abusive. Yes, he was a master abuser and manipulator. Fake healings. This this started pretty early on, and it was one of the things that really solidified a lot of people's devotion to him. Was that he seemed to be able to heal. The sick and the injured. Hey. But of course it was all fake. Of course. <laughs> of course. I would say that it is rare, extremely rare, that a person can just randomly heal people. Yeah. But he did it pretty well. He had a, an elderly secretary who would come to services in a wheelchair. Oh. 
And then one day he, he points to her and he says, you know, like, I command you to walk. And she very slowly gets up out of the wheelchair. Like and Yep. And she kind of takes some steps. And then all of a sudden she just starts skipping up and down the aisle and she's dancing and running. And people are just like losing their shit because uh, yeah. it's a miracle. They think they're witnessing a miracle. There was another time where they they drugged a member of the church and they put a cast on her leg while she was out. And when she came to, they told her like, oh, well, you collapsed and you broke your leg. And a little while later, in front of all the other members, he's like, you know, like, tear that cast off and walk on that leg. And she does it. And everyone's just like, oh, my God. But it's like, yeah, her leg was actually never broken right. in the first place. Gaslighting. God damn. Yeah, I mean, it was insane. He also uh, made himself to be immortal. God, he was God. He was God. And he not, not, not lowercase God, capital G God. Oh, yeah. He staged his own assassination attempt to where people showed up firing blanks. And however he did it, you know, he made it so like some blood packets exploded under his shirt. The other, the the higher ups in the church instructed everyone to like, you know, go inside the church. They were having like a picnic out in the parking lot. Oh yeah, yeah. All went down. It's like everyone go hide in the church, and everyone's crying, thinking, you know, like, oh, father has been shot, and they're all beside themselves. And then one of the the higher ups comes in, holding up the shirt, the bloody shirt with like holes in it where the bullets had gone in. And then in behind him comes Jim Jones without a mark on him. Just fine. Yeah, he had healed himself because he is God. Of course. And everyone lost their shit. Of course. I mean, nowadays we would think, oh, well, maybe because we have things we we know about special effects and that sort of thing. I mean, everyone's grows up on that sort of shit. But yeah, it's, it's harder and back harder in these the days 70s, to get away with shit like that. Back in the 80s, like when, I mean, that's, it must have blown them away because mm -hmm. they they 100% felt like they had just witnessed a miracle. Yeah. Yeah, they 100% absolutely thought they'd, they'd witnessed something miraculous. And it's really fucked up to do that to people. It is. It's it, really fucked up because lying to somebody is one thing, but like giving them this false faith and this false hope, like once they learn that it was false can completely destroy a person. Well, and it can actually really physically destroy them and end their life because there were some people that had cancer and he claimed to cure oh, it. Oh, yeah. And, and then the cancer, their cancer came back. Or and was then never gone. It was, yeah, it was never gone or... But they're uh, not going to the, the whatever like chemo or whatever they did back then. And they and one lady who had cancer, another member reported that she had cancer. Jones claimed to have cured her cancer. Well, she was feeling better for a little bit, probably because she stopped chemo, you know, because everyone feels better yeah. like after you're not doing that. Yeah. But then her cancer, you know, comes back or never up. went a, never went away. And she said that she wasn't going to do any more treatment on it because she felt like if she just believed more, 
that it would be cured, that the reason like she hadn't fully been cured by Jim Jones was because she wasn't, um, you know, believing in it hard enough. It was her fault. It was her fault. It wasn't, it wasn't, it father's wasn't him. Fault. It wasn't father's fault because he's like a fake piece of shit. No, no. He loves her. Yeah. He loves her. And he wants her to be cured. But wrong. the problem lies within her. Yeah. Yeah. And she fucking died. And I'm sure other people died because of stuff like that, too. Oh, I'm sure that's not the only example of something similar there. I mean, mm-hmm. anytime you're selling the cure when you're actually there's no cure yeah you're killing people mm-hmm. you, you're murdering people there's the whole sexual misconduct thing oh yeah he had lots of affairs there's oh, yeah. uh, a lady carol was like his main mistress that he had and a lot of the members didn't know about the other women and he used his power in the church and i'm doing this because i love you so he you know, I mean, I guess back then you would say he seduced them. In today's times, you would say that he raped them. Yeah. Because he thought they were attractive and just kind of, you know, willed his... Uh, Did whatever he possibly yeah. needed to do to get and his dick and inside of man. Yeah, and they're not going to say anything, even if they don't want it. Or they're just, in, in yeah. the, the throes of being horribly mentally abused. Mm-hmm, they're being mentally abused and manipulated and... Gaslit and... Yeah, yeah and yeah, just just awful. There's also rumors that he made um, some of the members do, like, sex acts in front of other people. Even though, overall, he was kind of down on the whole sex thing. I think sometimes you do stuff like that because then you instill shame and then you're you're not once once things like that happen to you you don't want to talk about it right right and you're less likely to go outside and just you know tell people your story because and especially these times like even today it's difficult but back then it was goddamn near impossible it's I mean, even still, people don't believe victims. And right. And then they believe them even less. It was mm-hmm. ridiculous, an absolutely ridiculous time. So it just only serves to further isolate you from the outside world because nobody, nobody's going to understand what you've been through. Nobody's going to understand that it wasn't your fault. Well, it was your fault. See, that's, that's also <laughs> the thing. Right. I mean, it was obviously your fault because Jim wouldn't do anything bad. Mm-hmm. And if you try and tell anybody, I mean, no one's going to believe you. When there is an expose written about him, uh, one of the reporters, his own newspaper, which was like a huge newspaper, was like the San Francisco Chronicle or Examiner, wouldn't even print a bad story about him. That's how politically, like, you know, that's how big he was in the community. He got the fucking mayor elected, Mayor Moscone. (laughs) And then Harvey Milk, he got elected as like the uh, board of supervisors. That's crazy. Yeah, and I don't know much about those guys. I know that Harvey Milk was at least the first openly gay politician yes. in California. Yes. I know that he was pro- portrayed by Sean Penn in a movie called Milk, which I haven't seen. I haven't seen it either. I also know that a man who I believe was running against Moscone or something for mayor ended up getting a gun into like a, the courthouse or something and shooting George Moscone and then shooting Harvey Milk and then shooting himself, I believe. Wow. So they were, it was crazy. Yeah. And these were all very, these were, these guys were very liberal. I mean, mm-hmm. it was in San Francisco. I mean, this was, the, everything was going to change here. Right. Now, see, San Francisco is where like, um, you know, the bot one needed to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, you know, when 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 they moved to uh, the the place in Oregon, it was just like, oh, no, see, you needed California. Yeah, California is where you wanted to go. Would have gone to some place in California and they would have it would have been a lot easier for them. Definitely. 
Got to learn from your previous Colts mistakes exactly. or from their successes. Like, look at all the success Jim Jones had in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Now, if a few years later, when you're coming through, you should have been like, ah, yeah. let's go to San yes. Francisco. Where this is where it's at. Any place but like Eastern Oregon, where <laughs> right. the people aren't going to be interested in your shit. And frankly, the weather sucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may as well have gone to like the reddest place in Texas or like or somewhere in Utah or something. Yeah, like, totally. I mean, that's that's where. Eastern Oregon is, I mean, maybe, maybe they thought about Portland, but it's like, no, that's, that's about the only place where they might've been cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> someplace around, or Eugene, something like that. Someplace Eugene, closer to the coast anyway. But yeah. Anywhere east of the mountains, like, no, 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 no. Beatings. There was a lot of beatings going on within the church. Which is what you're looking for when you're in involved in a religion. Oh, yeah. It's just like, oh, my God, look at the beatings that are doled out to <laughs> to the other members and it wasn't This like is the, the place I want to join. It wasn't self-flatulation. No, it was not. I mean, whatever infraction you committed, which there were many, if you did so, you were put before the other members and you had to confess. And then basically, like, several members would just come and beat your ass. Like, that was how that went down. He kind of orchestrated these boxing matches for his own amusement, but mostly it was, like, mismatched and, like, you know, some little person with, like, five or six huge people beating him down. I mean, it was really fucked up. Almost like uh, the, the, the beating into a gang or yeah. or that sort of thing where mm-hmm. you just severely beat the fucking shit out of someone. And there are some really fucked up recordings of these beatings where you, you hear his commentary going along and he's just laughing uh, you know, it's like, yeah, that's right, bitch. You know, you don't fucking cross me and, you know, and fuck you, you gangland punk. You know, you've been such a fucking headache to me. And yeah, I mean, it's really fucked up. You could just, the, the sadistic part in him was really starting to, to show itself. Yeah. Well, once you really. have power, mm-hmm. it starts to, what people think of you start to, starts to matter less and less because right. you've got power and. What they think of you matters less and less as long as they seem to love you and never leave you. As long as they still do what you say, whether that yeah. be fear or love, it's easier to fear to make someone fear you than it is to make someone love you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hence the beatings. Hence the beatings. He also instilled a whole divide and conquer sitch with the members. So he divided up the natural family units. He was quoted as saying that the relationships between family members are, quote, the sickest relationships of all. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that comes from him being in a place where he wasn't shown really any love as a child. It could be, or it just could be a way of... Uh, breaking up families yeah, breaking for more up power, families. Man. Yeah, because what happens when you when you break up the family, so... Children would be separated from their parents, typically. So you would be taking care of several children because, you know, he's really um, pushed the whole communal living and stuff at this point. Like everyone's kind of like three families in one household and there's a ton of kids, but none of them are your own. Your other your children are being cared for in some other house with some other people. And what he's making it that much harder for you to leave because you can't just take your family and right. You can't just take your family and run. If you try to plan it and you maybe share that plan with your children and then your children go back to like whatever caregivers they are, the caregivers would like question. So what did you talk about with your parents? And they were encouraged to tell and rat their parents out. I mean, of course, this isn't their fault. They're being brainwashed. But so you can be like, okay, tomorrow, meet me here and we're going to run for it. No, 
especially because they're also the children probably aren't seeing the bad part of things. And they're still in California. They're being encouraged and rewarded to rat out their parents. So anytime you might be trying to plan to go with your kid, you couldn't because you, you would fear that your children would turn you in. And then if you get turned in for trying to say you wanted to go, then you got the whole group beating thing. Uh, yeah. And then if you didn't couldn't take your children, then, I mean, why leave? Exactly. I mean, you can't leave your children. Although some eventually did because in hopes that maybe they could get them get at a someone, later yeah, time. Yeah. I guess that's similar to in the airplane when you put on your mask first. Mm-hmm. Which kind of leads me to the next thing that he would do to have control over it would be the coercion and blackmail. He had members sign papers, like blank papers, so he could just write in anything he wanted right. on top of it and also use that to you know coerce them into not leaving. Hey, let like, me get your signature right here. Mm-hmm, let me oh, get but, your signature. Oh, but Jim, there's nothing on this piece of paper. You don't worry about that. I just need mm-hmm. your signature. Oh, okay, oh, Jim, Jim. I don't like what you're doing. I think I want to leave. It's like, oh, okay, well, remember this piece of paper you gave me? I'm going to put that you are confessing to wanting to murder the president, or you are confessing to molesting your own children. And that was that was one that was actually used a lot. Oh, yeah. There was, there was a woman called Dorothy O'Shea, and she says that Jim had called the papers compromises, and he would, you know, openly blackmail you with them. Um, When one guy tried to leave, Jim said he'd use that paper so he'd never see his children again, so he came back. And, again, if you were going to leave, you were leaving your children behind. Another member, Grace Stone, and her husband experienced the same thing. Now, she had a son, John Victor, and Tim signed a a statement. Her husband signed a statement saying that he was actually not John Victor's father, that because he couldn't get her pregnant, she had slept with Jim Jones, and that he was the natural father of John Victor. Grace couldn't take it anymore. She was a big part of the church and she finally escaped one day, just walked out of there. And I think one of the bus drivers, one of the Greyhound bus drivers helped get her out. And she eventually starts trying to get custody of her child back. She starts divorce proceedings against her husband, but then that really didn't help because the husband had signed this document saying that Jim was actually the natural father of the child. Eventually the husband leaves too and kind of, joins in her efforts to try and get him back. And she became very outspoken against the temple. And so she has a bit, she has a lot of input into this article that nobody would publish that kind of triggers the next big move for, for the church. So there's an article that's written by, it was written by Marshall Kilduff and Paul Tracy. And it was eventually published in the August 1977 edition of New West Magazine because, like, the fucking Chronicle and the Examiner wouldn't publish the articles against Jim Jones. But finally, when this whole uh, expose is written and published, that's when Jones decides, you know, maybe it's time to get the heck out of Dodge. And he moves forward with moving to his utopia in the jungle, which is something that he has actually had in the works for a few years when we get to this point. Yeah, in 1974, he actually got about 4,000 square anchors of land in Guyana. 
To the south of Guiana is Brazil, to the north is the Atlantic Ocean, to its west is Venezuela, and Suriname is to its east. I didn't even know Suriname was in South America. Yeah, right next to Guiana. And there's actually, this is not to be confused with French Guiana, which I believe is in Africa. Yeah. This is G-U-Y-A-N-A. Yeah, not French Guiana, which is spelled like Guinea. Like I think it's pig. G-U-I-A-N-A, actually. Yeah. Something. Something. At any rate. South America. It's not a really very progressive place, you know? Today, but they do speak English there. Yeah, but which is one of the can, reasons he chose it. You can be imprisoned for your for life for anal or oral sex. Wow. Uh, their LGBTQ laws are absolutely primitive. They want a like Trumpian landscape. Mm. They did have their first pride parade in 2018, so they are trying to change some of the laws. But man. It is a real backwards motherfucking place. There's a lot of places in South America that are still very much like that. I They're mean, the, actually the only place that have these kinds of anti-LGBTQ laws in all of South America. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty crazy. I'm thinking more like Brazil, I think, where you, you still can't get abortion for like any reason. Oh, maybe. That wouldn't surprise me at all. They're very mm-hmm. Catholic, I believe. Right. But you have when that the Zika became like a big thing and you have and it causes terrible birth defects. Oh, yeah. Isn't, yeah, yeah. It's like you have all these babies that are being born like, you know, that are microcephalics. And oh, all man. Fucked up problems because. Pregnant women got the virus and couldn't have an abortion, even if it meant you're going to have this like, you know, fucked up baby with terrible heart defects and their brain or their head is like filled with liquid instead of brain. So. They have a small head or something, and their brain doesn't fully develop. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, it's really, really awful. And yeah, and it's actually not just the women. Men can also pass this along. So mm-hmm. if a man impregnates a woman, and he was he has Zika virus, then the baby is just probably fucked too. Yeah, like in and the same way. That's I mean, it's really just, messed up. The and virus it's for affecting it's for months affecting somebody like that. Not only like a pregnant woman, but like a man. And anybody he might impregnate. Yeah, like, that that's, shit's, that's, that's hardcore. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I had no idea about that stuff with Guiana. It's like, I, didn't, I never even heard of it until I was like, you know, studying. Oh, yeah. And, you studying know, Jonestown. A lot of it is because of colonialism and because they were a colony until like the 60s or something. Wow. And their borders on the West are disputed. Their borders on the East are disputed. And it's just, it's just. Not necessarily their fault. Everything is completely fucked. Right. It's another. It's another uh, win for colonialism. Right. You know, right there. Right. Just another. Just another way that colonial colonialism is fucking awesome. Oh Not. yeah. Yeah. Well, America's a colonial power. Oh no. I'm sorry. We have territories, not colonies. <laughs> just kidding. Jonestown wasn't super awesome. What? It was out there in the middle of nowhere. It was super remote. The soil was bad, so it was really difficult to get crops to grow. That shocks me, though, the, that the soil is bad. You would think, like, out there in the jungle, it would be, like, great. Like, it, it's untouched and all fertile and stuff, but... Well, I bet I you that the, the bit that... I mean, the people that rented it to him were probably like, Well, crackers, yeah, you can rent this land. Mm-hmm, like, here's our shittiest land yeah, available. Yeah, and I believe that was actually close to some of the boundary disputes as well. And I think part of their their ability to rent it depended on the fact that they had to clear-cut a bunch of it. It was like they were 
They're like, here, we can make some money and force them to like clear cut right? some of this at the same time. And then everyone was just like, okay, we're just trying to build Utopia. And they're like, yeah, great. Good luck with that. You should have tried Eastern Oregon, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the closest place to get water was a 14-mile round trip. Seven miles there, seven miles back. Not on a nice paved trail, but on a muddy, shitty... It was a fucking trek. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, water. You need a lot of that out in the jungle. Especially when you got a lot of people. Mm-hmm. His followers were working 11-hour days. And then they were listening to the sermons. And then they were taking classes on communism. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing is abundantly clear is that the Reverend Jim Jones loved the sound of the Reverend Jim Jones. Oh, he did. He loved the sound of his own voice. He had it recorded. So even if he wasn't, they they were out there a few years before everybody goes out there. But um, once he's out there, he's on the loudspeaker all the time. But he also has recordings that he made that he would run over the loudspeaker like 24-7. Yeah, so that's great. So mm-hmm. you're always hearing the Reverend Jim Jones. Was he the Reverend? He was a Reverend. Yeah, he was yeah, always he was, a Reverend was, Jim was, Jones. Yeah, he was ordained. So, I mean, he was the Reverend Jim Jones. Father. Although it's not hard to get ordained. At least not anymore. I'm going to make sure to do it before I start my cult. Yeah, you may as Just well. Just so there's no question, you know. The like, Reverend Joanna. The Reverend Joanna. I'm going to want a different title than Reverend, though. They have a list. It mm-hmm. costs you 10 or 20 bucks, depending upon which one you want. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. You get to pick from a whole list, huh? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Keep that in mind. Definitely. <laughs> the ordination is free, so that's cool. By 1977, they had working all those long days and nights had paid off. They had 60 cottages on site, large kitchens, food storage, laundry facilities, an infirmary schoolhouses and then there was like the big open air pavilion where everyone could like have meetings and listen stuff. to jim jones listen to jim jones it was about 50 people that had started in 74 and had done all the clear cutting and the the building of the things and and the long hours and it continued to be long hours and exhausting work but suddenly a thousand people are there yeah and this wasn't built for a thousand people. No, it I mean, built I'm for like, like 300 or 400. Right. Like 60 cottages. Like that's seems like a lot, but it's actually not when, you know, you're trying to fit a thousand people into that. Yeah. And, you know, all those food storages and all that's a thousand people. You're trying to feed a thousand people and grow crops for a thousand people in the shitty soil. And it just. So those 11-hour days did not stop. No, they did not stop. And there was not enough to eat. Uh, People were exhausted. Getting sick. Getting sick. They're moving from California to the jungle. Diarrhea. Mm -hmm. All kinds of just, you know, mosquito-borne illnesses and just all kinds of shit. That's what happens when you move to a different place like that. You don't have any sort of antibodies for any of their shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Still, though, people still believed in what they were doing. They were creating a utopia. They were creating a, you know, wonderful. Utopia. Community. Yeah. <laughs> a wonderful community where they're, you know, self-sustaining and it's going to grow and it's going to be this great thing. His 
the son Stephen actually recalled it as actually being like the happiest time of his life because when they were just like kind of out there and building things and doing this, creating this utopia, it was a great time. Yeah, I guess if you're, was he younger at the time? He was 19. Oh, I so mean, not yeah, that much so, younger. So but he was the young one. But still, uh, he would be grown up in this and he probably didn't see the real dark side of all of this. A lot of people probably didn't quite see the dark side of this yet. I think he had seen some of it. He knew about the affair, um, the affairs plural with yeah. his father and had lost a lot of respect but i think maybe once he was out there it, it's different than being in places that are already built and you're just out there kind of like uh, politically hobnobbing yeah, and trying yeah. to spread the word of a man that you kind of are disillusioned by at this point your dad who pays attention to everyone else except you right that which is kind of a you know fucked up you know, has a fucked up sense of irony there. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, but, I mean, it's, it's generational. <laughs> yes, exactly. But finally, you know, you're out there and you're just like in the jungle with all the people you've grown up with and you're working with your hands and it may, maybe it makes you feel like you're actually like doing something. Well, I would expect that it's you don't have time to dwell on stuff because you've got hard work. When you're done working, you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. You're you're then you're supposed to pay attention to the sermon. You're supposed to be taking these commie classes. There's all these things that you have to do, and then you just don't have time to dwell. No. That is one of the hardest parts I think about modern humans is that we grew beyond our like hand to mouth living that we did, right? And we just didn't quite catch up emotionally or or as a society. So right. we're still very much in that got to get got to get got to get mode when we're not in a got to get got to get scenario anymore so now we like got to think got to think got to think too much yep and, and then, now... then we get like you know bummed about shit yeah that's probably that we just simply wouldn't have time for before Mm-hmm. so no it's, one... it was a good thing for a lot of people but again it also kind of contributed i think to the Jim's ability to control everyone i'm sure it certainly made because it easier. you're exhausted and you're just not thinking clearly you don't have the energy mm -mm, no and also where the fuck are you gonna go yeah that's another thing so the members that had already defected you had grace stone who's who's still in this custody battle trying to get her son back and then you had other family members of the cult that are really upset over the fact that their you know son daughter brother sister whatever have you know given all their money over to Jim Jones and now have gone off to the middle of fucking nowhere in South America. Oh, tons of lawsuits about getting children back and all uh -huh. that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there were several children that were, like, actually wards of the state that were under, like, the, the care. They were, like, kind of like the foster kids of Jim and Marceline. Yeah. And they weren't supposed to have been taken out of the country. But... They were anyway. But they were anyway. And then, yeah, all the family members... I mean, I know I would be a pretty upset and concerned if one of my relatives was just like oh yeah now we're gonna now jim's taking us down to south america to like you know god knows where doing god knows what so well, we're gonna build a town mm -hmm. it's gonna be great war-torn country yeehaw <laughs> i mean what the to fuck are they of, gonna do you know to kind of counter this jim was uh making a lot of these uh like home movies kind of depicting how great it was. Oh, right. Yeah. And of course, you know, you you didn't want to be, you're even more stuck than you were before. So you were not going to be the person who was like, you know, send help. Right. I mean, <laughs> somebody asked you how it is there. It's like, it's great. It's the best experience of my life. I know. You're not going to say that to Jim's. I mean, he's going to see it. 
In one of the movies, it actually shows like there's like bunches of bananas because uh, allegedly, you know, it's like, look at the bananas. They just grow so abundantly, you know, abundantly here. Yeah. And it was actually bananas that were bought. They were like the stickers, like the, the <laughs> Dole stickers were still on them right? because they weren't able to grow bananas yet. Like they were having a miserable time trying to um, grow anything, grow anything yeah. and find anything to eat. But yeah, that was the kind of propaganda he was like putting out. Like, no, it's a wonderful place here. It's a wonderful place. Well, no one, you don't want, I mean, no one wants to show everybody else that they've created a third world country. I mean, like. I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, I mean, Jim's got a huge ego. So not only does he want to kind of, he's hoping to like kind of stave off all these like, you know, like questioning relatives and people that are just like, hey, it seems like it's pretty bad off. It's like, no. No, look how cool this is. Everyone's fine. We're doing great. Everyone's happy. Not only am I a success, but all you people that, you know, all the defectors and the family members, you guys just need to like back off and let us be because clearly everyone here is happy and doing great. Yeah, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. No, not so much. I mean, Jim had been doing drugs for several years now yeah he was a bit paranoid oh yeah so i mean he's taken like speed he's taken amphetamines all day long to oh keep man him going, yeah, totally and then barbiturates to uh you know help him wind down and go to sleep yeah like, a not a good night. combination not a good combination especially if you heavily abuse it oh yeah not good at i mean all you, you start know, you to take act your, erratically you start yeah. to hallucinate you take your your you already have like mental health problems. You've got way too much power. You're getting corrupt as fuck off of it. And then it's amplified by all this drug use, your paranoia, your need to control. I mean. Yeah, it's a. Just crazy. It's a, yeah, it's not a good situation. So that's when a lot of the and the, the punishments, they start to really get. Even more fucked up. There's like this thing called the pit where it was like a hole in the ground. They would like put you in a hole in the ground, like a well almost, and then cover you up and leave you in there for like hours. Yep. It was like almost like being buried alive. It's like throw him in the pit. I mean, Jesus, like probably not a whole lot of dissenters being open about it. You're you don't have any privacy. You're there's probably like 20 people at least per little cottage. So, I mean, you can't confide in anybody because you get the shit beat out of you. You get put in the pit. Then also, you would get locked in a wooden coffin. Oh, yeah. That sounds fucking awesome. So, it's small. It's wooden. You're locked in there. It's hot. Ugh. So, it's stifling. I can't even imagine. You're in there for a few hours, so hopefully you went to the bathroom right before because otherwise... It just had to be terrifying. Like awful. The, the whole thing. The I whole... Mean, Jesus. Being there and always being exhausted and always having Jim's voice in your head and always... All this fucking bullshit would just be the awful and terrifying, stressful shit. Right. And then where are you going to go? A lot of these relatives were... When people would say, like, well, don't you think if your relatives are... Uh, really that unhappy? Can't they just leave? And it's just like, dude, where are they going to fucking go? They have no money. He collected their passports. Where were they going to go? It takes hours to get to anything from where they are. I mean, they are... They don't have vehicles. They would have to walk. They're like 12 or 18 hours from the capital. Georgetown is the capital. Georgetown is the capital. And then they are a good, like, 30 miles from the very, you know, from any kind of civilization whatsoever. It's... So you don't have a vehicle, like, 
you're in the middle of the fucking jungle. It's like, yeah, where the fuck are you going to go? And also With no money, no passport and no way to get there. And also when you've been in California, you've been basically getting groomed for this. You've been he's been isolating you since when you were in a place where you weren't actually isolated. Mm-hmm. And so now it's it's even more so because you've been mentally isolated for so long and socially isolated for so long. Now you're physically isolated as well. It was a breaking point for a lot of people, though, because this is a point where, yeah, in California, you were isolated, but he also had the ability to kind of hide aspects about him that, you know, had now been proven to be fake. And he he couldn't put on the, the show anymore. He couldn't convince people anymore that of his holiness and. His, well, you know, yeah. like all abusers, <laughs> they're only shiny and flashy for so long right and then they show how disgusting and ugly that they really are and that's kind of what happened in guiana there he couldn't hide any part of himself or whatever i mean he was right there with them 24 7 so there was no more illusions nope as to like you know what you know that he was god or a great person he still had plenty of people thinking that way but more and more people are starting to be like you know this just doesn't you know this seemed like a good idea a long time ago, and now I've gotten to this place, and how the fuck did I actually get here? <laughs> Boy, did I drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. But, yeah. Where are you going to go? Even if even if you desperately went out of there, how are you going to make it happen? It's It would take some will. It would take some At will. At least you're physically fit. I mean, maybe you're starving, but you've been working <laughs> long, hard days, so. You're starving, you're sleep-deprived. And you're also, for those that are still kind of able to be brainwashed, so to speak, you are living in fear because this is when he starts with his uh, white knight drills. He'd done this maybe a couple of times in the States where he had, he'd actually given them like the Kool-Aid and then told them, you've just been poisoned, you have an hour to live. Just to kind of test the waters. Yeah, yeah. And see how people reacted. And when nobody, like, tried to murder him, I guess, over it, then he took it to be like, you know, look at you. You guys are so devoted. You're actually not going to die. I'll heal you. Once you get out in the jungle, though, he really starts, like, reinforcing. Um, if they come and get us. Fears. Yeah. If they come like, and get us. There's always somebody coming to get him. I mean, remember, he had faked that whole shooting thing. Where, yeah. Where allegedly he was uh, shot and oh, healed yeah, yeah. himself. And, I mean, he never really gave up uh, the whole, like, us versus them uh, prophecies where, you know, yeah. And they were armed. Mm-hmm. They had they had weapons. They had, they they had firearms. They had weapons. When he was really heavily involved in politics, he would come back and be like, you know, I was just meeting with all these higher-ups, and, and there's so many plans out there. It's going to be a civil war. They're going to lock up everyone who's black is going to go into concentration camps. He would just fill him up with all this kind of shit to make him fearful. And like, you know, the only way you're going to be safe is with me. The grace of Jim Jones. The grace of Jim Jones. And that's why everyone wants me dead and wants you dead is because we want equality for everyone. He started really playing what was originally like a great concept and maybe something he believed in. He just it just turned into something he just used to control them. Nobody else wants you to be equal. They'd rather die. They'd rather see you dead than have father. equality. I'm your father. I want, I'm your father. I want what's best for you. I want what's best for you. 
in the middle of the night, the loudspeaker uh, would come on and he would shout into it, white night, white night. And you had to get up, you had to get your machetes, you had to get your guns, you had to line up in the pavilion and you were ready because it was like, they're coming, they're coming to attack us. He would run all these drills where the enemy, whoever that was, was coming for them. And then, of course, nobody would come and everyone would go back to bed until they were woken again the next time. And so you've got your long days of work. Mm -hmm. You've got all of this stuff we were learning. You're very tired. You're not eating very much. And on top of it, you've got this thing that happens. So you're always supposed to be prepared. So there's a sense of paranoia. Real big sense of paranoia. At times, he would actually have some of the church members shooting into the jungle as if they were shooting at them. Right. So, like, see, there, I told you they're coming. They're out there. They're shooting at us. Only... To have it like, you know, they weren't nothing really but... actually manifested, but I'm sure it got people all kinds of freaked out. And yeah, and this is going on just day after day, day after day after day after day. Finally, someone decides that they're going to have to like intervene and, and see what's really going on in Jonestown. Uh, Dorothy O'Shea, I'd mentioned her earlier. She was talking about the the con the compromises. Yep. Yep. She managed to escape about three weeks prior to the jonestown massacre this is what this culminates in in case you're unfamiliar with the story spoiler alert right um he had a lawyer he had a couple of lawyers for the church and they had been over there discussing some of the like yeah like the custody issues and the legal problems that he was in but still in the states yeah trying to get his ends tied up Mm-hmm. and she suggested she was like well maybe i should go back with the lawyers to take everything down because you know you really can't trust the outsiders like i should go with them so that i can ensure that you know your everything's word, copacetic yeah, yeah. Every, everything is kosher and you're getting the full story and no one's going to keep anything from you and he was just like oh yeah that's a great idea so that was how she made her escape she was so terrified she once she got back to san francisco she immediately got on a plane to new york and changed her name and like literally lived in fear for a long time. Yeah, man, that is just awful. Yeah, because she thought like they were going to be after her any second because that was another thing. I mean, if you defect, I'm going to poison you. I'm going to send people after you. We're going to come and hunt you down in the night if you defect from the People's Temple. November 7th, 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan of California, he was going to do a congressional delegation, which would involve him going over to Guyana with some reporters and some family members who wanted to know the status of their loved ones. Enough people had kind of banded together and made their voices heard, and he decided he was going to do something about it. He was he was a big... He, he was a man of action, you could say. He was, and he had also recently read this affidavit by a woman named Deborah Lawton. Mm-hmm. Deborah Layton. Deborah Layton, yeah. And it was very damning. She had been there from August of 1971 until May of 78. And it was, it was damning. And it was long. Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember how she managed to slip away, but... May, I, I, I don't I, remember either. I feel like it was something similar to how... Dorothy O'Shea had had gotten away just through her own cunning somehow mm -hmm. somehow managed to to get out of there and because yeah it was a lot to do that so Ryan headed to Guyana mm -hmm. 
First, he went into Georgetown. Not a colonial name at all. It's definitely, definitely a native name, Georgetown. He spoke to the people around the area and sort of asked them about this group out there. And he was like, I'm the bad guy, you know, joking around and stuff. And people trusted him and people told him, oh, they're fine. It's great. It's not a big deal. It's totally great. They also had a headquarters, the the Jonestown uh, People's Temple had a headquarters in Georgetown. Yeah, yeah. It was in Georgetown that they would actually communicate back and forth to those that were still back in San Francisco and the Redwoods. So they had like a radio and that was the only way they communicated. So radio, uh, Jim could radio to Georgetown and then Georgetown could forward the radio transmissions or the messages over to the to people San Francisco. To, in San Francisco and such. Well, while in Georgetown, secretly people came up to Ryan and said, dude, it is not good there. That is a fucked up place. Yeah. So Ryan ended up going to Jonestown. Mm-hmm. Only a few people were allowed in. They didn't let the full group that had flown down there. No, no, there's only a few. Yeah. Only a select few uh, actually got to get on the truck. You had to go from Georgetown. You had to fly on this like little like Cessna type plane. You landed on an airstrip, which was I don't know, like six, seven. It was it was several miles. But it was probably just dirt. Yeah, it's just a dirt road, and then you you met, got met with a truck from Jonestown or a tractor, even like then, a flatbed or a tractor, and they would like take you to the uh you know their, settlement their settlement yeah. When he and members of the press from both NBC and the San Francisco Examiner. I mean, they wouldn't publish anything about him in the past, but I guess now. <laughs> <laughs> they went to join Stan, and of course, it was kind of the usual, like, no, it's it's great here. It's wonderful. Look how lovely everything Look is. Look how lovely everything is. They kind of had, like, a party going on. They were doing, like, special dances for the congressman, and he's kind of, like, being... He's he's giving it an open mind. I mean, he's he's just like, you know, I'm just I'm just here to see what you're doing. He just I'm really wants impressed. to observe. He just wants to observe and, and see the the good things that you're doing out here, Jim. As the evening wears on, yeah, everyone's dancing, everyone's singing. There is a member, his name is Vernon Gosning, and he has been there for a really long time. He's been with the church for Years. He's from years Indiana. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's from Indiana, but definitely. I mean, at this point, if you. If you started in California and now you have made your way over to Guyana, you're you're in. Oh, yeah. You've, You've been, been there been for a while. For a long time. They didn't have like a whole lot of new, new recruits once, the, once they were in Guyana. <laughs> no, no. No, it's not a very populous area. But he scratches out this note like, please help us get out. Vernon Gosney, and then he wrote another name, Monica Bagby, who was one of his roommates who also wanted to leave. Yeah. And he goes up to one of the reporters, this guy, Dan Harris, thinking that he's actually Congressman Ryan because it looked like he was kind of like walking around the room and looking around. And so he thought he was the congressman. Yeah, yeah. And so he's trying to like discreetly slip him this note, this like, you know, please help us note. And he as he's walking by him, he's, he tries to kind of like either slip it into the crook of his arm or into like like the breast pocket of his shirt. Yeah. But the note falls to the floor. Oh, God. In front of everyone. And like this little kid is all like, he tried to pass a note. He's passing a note. And I mean, everyone's heads just snap over, you know, like, uh, what's yeah. going on here? And Vernon played it off really well. He picked up the, the note 
and and says to him, "Here, I think you dropped this." And fortunately, Dan Harris is is kind of like, "Oh, okay," and uh, kind of reads the situation like, "Oh, thanks, man." <sighs> oh man, heart beating out his fucking mouth. I bet, I bet, just terrifying. Dan Harris shows the note to Congressman Mott Ryan. And at some point later in the evening, he comes up to him and he's like, is your name Vernon? Did you give uh, the reporter here this note? And he says, yes. And he's like, okay, well, uh, you and Monica have a seat on the plane out of here tomorrow. And then, and Vernon's trying to tell him, like, I think we should go like now. Like, it's very, you're (laughs) like, dude, you don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you don't understand how volatile a situation this actually is. We should go like right now. And the congressman was like, well, I mean, even if I wanted to, I couldn't. I don't have any transportation into set up until tomorrow. Just going to have to wait. So. Because he's going to stay the night in Jonestown. Mm hmm. And he did. And the, the reporters did. And it's it's the next day. And did you see any of the news footage of mm-hmm. this? Like where like they're actually like it's like the last day in Jonestown. No. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. You you see you see Jim Jones just kind of just oh man. I mean, he just clearly is not happy. He's putting on this like happy face and kind of giving all the right answers, but Right, but you can tell. You can just tell it's just the atmosphere is heavy. really fucked up and yeah. heavy. I can I can see that because at, when with Ryan there, I mean, it's they're just being polite. Right. They're, that's that's all it is. He knows that Ryan's there for a reason. And mm-hmm. when Ryan gets there, he knows there's some shit going down. Right. Especially when he gets past a note like the, please help me, you know. Yeah. Like- if he wasn't sure before, he was doubly sure then. Because I can't imagine anyone walking into a group of people putting on that sort of play act and not know and be like, this is very odd. Like, this isn't a normal thing people actually do the reporter dan harris when talking to him shows him the note saying how does it make you feel knowing that you know one of your members like slipped this note to us last night yeah and he already knew that vernon was gonna leave because by this time in the morning like Congressman Mark Ryan was like, "Okay, well, we're going to we're going to go now, but uh, these people are going to come with me because they've expressed a desire to leave." Before Vernon can leave, he has to sign a waiver saying he's leaving his son behind, his 4-year-old son. Vernon's wife was dead. She had died uh, you know, several a few years back. His son was biracial. He was white. His wife had been black. And he was, he just kind of uh, explains it like, yeah, like how we were talking. You're exhausted. You're not in your right mind. You're terrified. He didn't know what was the right thing to do, whether taking his son was the right thing to do or if he was better off with his caregiver. Because, I mean, he really didn't even get to care for his son. Right. Well, he was put in an impossible situation. Yeah. He was put in an impossible situation, so he signed this waiver saying that his son would stay behind. And you can see Jim saying, like, well, you know, if it's so terrible, why is he leaving his son behind? And right. That's that's kind of the answer back he has to the reporters when they're, you know, why do you think people want to leave? And how does that make you feel? And 
He also, quote, says, I feel sorry that we are being destroyed from within. Right. Eesh. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and you see this on the actual footage that they're shooting, several other members, some of them who have, there's like two other families, both of them have been with him since Indiana. They take their that moment and they're just like, you know what? I'm sorry, Jim. I, I want to go. Right. And Congressman Ryan's got his, his aide out there, like kind of taking people's recorded statements like, yes, I am leaving of my own volition. I want to go. Just so everything's on the up and up. Yeah, just so you have a documentation of everything that's going on. That way Jim no can't coercion. be like, no, you came in here and you coerced my members yeah. to leave against their will when it's actually kind of like, you know, you, you're coercing your members to stay against their will, but we'll just make it on the up and up. And <laughs> yeah, like, yes, um, I'm leaving of my own free will. Yeah, I mean, you got you to cover your ass. Got to cover your ass. So what started off with like a handful of people wanting to leave eventually turns into like 15 or 20 people. Wanting to leave so many that the congressman was like, you know, we're never going to fit. Yeah, we we only have so many seats, guys. Mm-hmm. So he decided that he would stay behind and that his his aide would take the first group of people and get on the plane with them and get them out. And he would get another truck and another plane to get this second group out. So hold on just one second. A congressman personally went to Guyana and personally look at all this stuff, and now is staying behind at a place he knows is dangerous to allow other people who want to leave to leave. Yes. That's pretty fucking awesome. I wish we had more Congress people like that. Yeah, he was a, he was a great man, in my opinion. If we had Congress people who were willing to actually do the work, we would have a much better country. You know, Congressman Ryan, prior to going all this way, just to help these people, uh, he had heard about um, prisoners being abused in the federal prison system. And so he had gone in posing as a prisoner for a week to get, like, the inside inf on it. I mean, imagine that. Imagine posing as a... Does your congressperson do that? Ours fucking doesn't. Maybe... We need a higher level of politician in this country. I think so. We need some, like, late 70s level of politician. We need more Leo Ryans. Definitely. He heard about the seal population was declining because people were going out and clubbing the baby seals, you know? Yeah. Because it was, like, a fun thing to do, and I guess they like their fur and everything. And he actually went out there and, like, physically, like, threw himself over the seals, like, saved their lives. He was a man of action. Yeah. That is for sure. Not some. Those aren't just words I'm saying. Not some leathery (laughs) jackass who's been doing bullshit, taking money from evil corporations for the past 30 years and doesn't give a fuck about anybody but themselves. Yeah, attends the freaking meetings, like, you know, has his nice schedule of, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I go to like three meetings a month and that's the extent that I, you know, clock hours in the office. Enjoys their Epstein holidays. Mm -hmm. Disgusting swine. Yeah, no, he... Not one of those. No. Mm Mm-mm. They're getting the truck loaded up with everyone that wants to leave. And suddenly this wind blows in. This big wind, and it just starts raining like a motherfucker. And Tim Carter, one of the members who wasn't planning on defecting, he was starting to realize some really fucked up things about Jim Jones, but... 
he survives the massacre, so this is why we're getting his perspective on it. Uh-huh. He says at that moment when that wind was coming in and he just saw how, like, Jim was just getting more and more angry as more and more people said that they wanted to leave. Oh, yeah. I mean, the kingdom is falling apart. And then in blows this evil wind. He said he felt this evil just come into Jonestown. And he looks over and the congressman is talking with some people and he sees one of the church members come up to the congressman and he and he's just shaking like a leaf. And Tim's thinking like, okay, somebody else who who wants to leave, whatever. No, guy goes up to the congressman and says, now you're going to die, motherfucker. Puts the knife to his throat and tries to slit his throat. Now he cuts him, but Tim and some other members of the church actually wrestle the guy wielding the knife to the ground. God damn. Yeah. So... Tim Carter would later say that after they subdued the man, obviously Congressman Moran, a little distraught, he, started, <laughs> yeah. he he decides like now is, is going to be a good time to go. Yeah, well, I can't say I blame him. But what really chills Carter to the bone is immediately following the attack on the congressman, Jim Jones just looks around and says, you know, Jonestown has never been more peaceful. When, in fact, it was like total chaos. Oh, yeah. People are leaving. There's footage where, like, a, a married couple, uh, the guy's wanting to leave with the kid, and the woman's, like, screaming, like, don't you take my children! And, you know, it's just... It's just fucked madness. up. It's just, just all madness. kinds of fucked up. Yeah. And Jim Jones is just kind of like, oh, Jonestown's never been more peaceful. Damn. Damn. Yeah, and that just chilled him to the bone because it was just like, dude, what? What next? Yeah, right. Well, what next? Well, well, what next? What next? Obviously, Congressman Ryan at this point realizes, like, okay, these guys are kind of capable of anything. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. not going to really. They are really not giving. They're giving zero fucks that I'm a congressman and the repercussions of. Trying to kill one. Right. I mean, that's not, you're not just some, like, random guy. Like, you, you fucking kill a U.S. congressman, you are going to fucking, the U.S. government is going to fucking come and find your ass. Yeah, you're in the jungles of Guiana, you could probably get out of there. I mean, you don't have really much sank into the place at this point, some shitty crops and, like, you can get really out of there, but they're they're gonna hunt you down. It's not gonna be like, okay, well, you just, you just murdered some random, I mean, because, I mean, the government's like that. You just murdered some John Q. citizen, and and you've gone over there. And maybe when we have time and the resources available, we'll come find. But no, you this is a senator. I know oh, this is a congressman. This is a congressman. They're yeah, they're not going to take that well because I mean, what kind of image does that? I mean, it's more about image than anything. Oh else. yeah, yeah. So I'm sure it's mostly they, they got to make a show of force and like yeah, you don't you don't fuck with the U.S. government. You don't murder one of our own. It was a different government then. There was solidarity in the government then. I know. Imagine that. It would be insane. Even though there was like two parties still, like they. There was some solidarity. There was some solidarity. People kind of like got along. They respected each other. I mean, there was the whole Nixon thing that happened in the 70s. Right. But 
still, I mean, you saw people just being decent to each other that were in opposing parties, not belittling each other, not ripping up each other's speeches, not saying terrible things about the other one, yeah, any we, chance that they yeah, got. Yeah, every public forum, every every opportunity, it's... Yeah, no. There's you, a problem you, with our politics on both oh the left God. and the right. Yeah, on both sides. It's just become despicable. Yes, is what it has it is. been disgusting. You look back on there, it's like, yeah, they had some big differences on how they wanted to, but they, they still uh, were respectful to each other. They still, it was just a different... I mean, granted, they were ter- terribly, terribly racist, probably, but still. Yes. I mean, at it's least... Never been a perfect, it's never been a perfect system, it's, that's for no, sure. And it still is not. It still is not, but... I just I don't know when it became acceptable to just be so underhanded and petty and unprofessional. Yeah. Completely unprofessional. It's that's not playing favorites, mm-mm. both sides, completely unprofessional in many, many cases. Just acting like fucking children. Yep. Big uh children oftentimes are children. better behaved than our right. politicians. So there's a thing. I would agree with that. Leo Ryan climbs aboard the truck and he gets in the cab of the truck and he's like, okay, we got to get the fuck out of here. And unfortunately, whoever was still left that wanted to go had to be left behind, you know, that wasn't already on the truck. Yeah. Yeah. If if you were out, collect, just not there. You just... Or were you, you were waiting for another truck to come because or whatever, he was going to yeah. stay behind. Like, that's just, that sucks. But, you know, it was, it was time to go. As they were pulling out, now this is this is from the viewpoint of one of the reporters that was there. Um, Don Harris of NBC said, I think we're in for some trouble. <laughs> and oh, was Don Harris of NBC right? He was correct. Now, on that truck of the press, the congressman, his aide, and the defectors, one of the supposed defectors was a guy named Larry Layton. And he was like Jim's, like, like number one, he was like the Riker, right? You know, did he have a beard? Do you know? He was like Picard's Riker. Uh, he did not have a beard. Yeah, so like season one Riker. Maybe he had a beard at the time. I think maybe he just had some long, shaggy hair. I mean, it was hard to keep up. <laughs> I'm sure everyone had somewhat of a beard there, right? It, it, it's it's <laughs> it's hard to maintain. Uh, yeah, you know, Jim took all the razors for himself. <laughs> Jim's hair was always really nicely done. Did yeah. you ever notice that? I mean, yeah. it was just never a hair always out of place. Shaved all nice. Mm-hmm. Clean shaven, hair nicely combed. Sunglasses. Sunglasses. Everyone thought it was a little sus that Larry had jumped on the truck of people wanting to go, and they're like, "There's no fucking like, way." Really? Like Larry? Larry wants to go. You are bald deep in that Kool Aid, dude. Mm-hmm. The members were telling Congressman Ryan, like, I don't trust this guy. I think he's a plant. There's no way he would actually want to leave. He is way too, he is in way too deep. He is way too close to Jim Jones. You gotta watch your back with this guy. And everyone's like, Okay, okay, we'll do that. So they get to the airstrip. And they have the one plane, and, like, the other one has just landed because they, they had to order the extra plane. Right, because they had so many people. They had so many people. And the planes weren't that big. No. These are these are little little wee planes. And even if they were a big plane, this was the 1970s, so the big planes then weren't as big as the big planes now. Mm-mm, definitely had more, um, less, you know, passenger capacity because... More legroom. Yeah, there was more legroom. They didn't squish everybody in like fucking sardines. You could smoke on them. Mm-hmm. Which was probably isn't the best. That wasn't the best part, but the fact that they didn't 
charge you a shitload of money to like have like one foot of square space if you're lucky you got that much hours and hours oh yeah. man i fucking hate flying these days as they're getting people boarded onto the plane they are frisking everyone so that no one's bringing a weapon onto the plane they frisk larry but they seem to miss the fact that yeah he did actually have a gun on him larry and vernon larry vernon and monica are all on board one of the planes when suddenly a trailer like a tractor trailer pulls up with several members of the people's temple there and you can see actual footage like the camera is rolling when they pull up and they start shooting everyone including including congressman ryan congressman ryan is the only congressman to have been murdered in the line of duty wow yeah Maybe that should happen more. I mean, in, in, I mean, because they're doing good things, not just because you're murdering congressmen. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, because they're, you know, actually out and there. Putting themselves out there. Yeah. And not, yeah. not just sitting behind a desk or in front of a TV, whatever they do these days. Reporter Tim Biederman is shot and he's shot through the elbow and manages to get to the, the jungle. <laughs> And just kind of lays out there for several hours. Yeah, well, fuck. Vernon is also shot. It's Larry Layton who ends up shooting him. Because as the members who pulled up on the tractor come, he turns to Larry and he's like, oh my god, they're killing everyone. And that's right when Larry pulls out his fucking pistol and shoots him. Shoots him. He shoots him twice, both kind of in the stomach, kind of on either side. Yeah. And shoots Monica Bagby in the back. And at that point, Vernon wrestles the gun away from Larry Layton. What a badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's shot, shot twice. Shot twice, and he's still like, fuck you. Yeah. And he manages to get off the plane, Vernon does, and also kind of get out to the jungle. Where at some point, you know, he like passes out. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was t- <laughs> took two in the gut. Yeah. The soundman... NBC soundman Steve Sung is also wounded. Ron Javers of the San Francisco Chronicle, wounded. Two people from the uh, Concerned Relatives, that was like the actual group's name, the Concerned Relatives. Beverly Oliver, Anthony Casares, wounded. Richard Dwyer, the Deputy Chief of Mission of the U.S. Embassy, wounded. And then Congressman Ryan's, his his aide, his legislative counsel, Jackie Spear, wounded. Very badly wounded. She's actually... Isn't she... She's a congressman Yeah, she's a, congress, uh, she's a congressperson now, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. She survives. Some time passes. Reederman wakes up or just kind of waits it out until he doesn't hear any more gunshots and he's just out there in the tall grass finally decides maybe it's safe, and he makes his way back to the plane to see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, right. Congressman Ryan is dead. He's been shot several times. He was shot initially, and then it seemed like they came up and and really made sure that the job was done. I'm sure. Because he was their number one target. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they had some animosity towards him. Mm Mm-hmm. Don Harris of NBC, so the guy that ended up with the note from Vernon and Monica. Oh, yep. Greg Robinson... He was the cameraman for Reiterman, because Reiterman was a journalist, too. Yeah. 
Bob Brown of NBC and Patricia Parks, who was one of the members that were leaving that were defecting. Oh, yeah. Her head was blown off in front of her husband. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure they were pretty. That was. Yeah. I'm sure they were proving a point with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then there was all the folks that were wounded, including himself. Finally, later that evening, Guyanese civilians and soldiers come. The fuck happened here, yeah, guys? Exactly. Exactly. You ordered two planes, only one took off. Actually, none took off because... Oh, none took off. None took off because they were still getting it loaded. I the, thought that... One had land. The second one had landed because oh, he ordered shit. the extra oh, plane. Okay. So they were both on the airfield. Damn, yeah. Well, definitely. They had two yeah, pl- nobody, you ordered two planes and they're still here. Yeah, nobody had, nobody had taken off. Now, Jackie Spear recalls that... When they found her and they moved her from where she had been shot, they accidentally put her on an anthill. Can you imagine? Anthills, like South American ants. Yeah. So she's laying there, her legs almost blown off. Her arm is also uh, very badly injured. She almost had to have her leg and arm amputated. It's a miracle she didn't. And And she's got fucking ants. And now she's got fucking ants crawling all over her. If you can imagine that. That's just like the worst. It is the absolute Jesus worst. Jesus fucking Christ. I just can't imagine God being that injured and then and then having ants crawling all over your body like biting you and shit. Yeah, you just man, you're like I why I mean that is just like that is just some totally fucking next level awfulness. I mean the only part that might be good is if they had some sort of like if their bite numbed stuff right. or something but maybe after the steering pain it actually uh <laughs> man what a what a what a mess that seems or maybe like something some sort would... of high some sort of a hallucinogenic effect or something. something i don't know something where you could just imagine your pain away and be dissociated from it but it's, that sounds like something that would happen in a mel brooks comedy you know similar to like the, the ambulance picks up the people and then crashes into a car you know that sort of thing right yeah just like my I mean, god you're thinking, how could it get any worse? Well, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. Because meanwhile, back in Jonestown, they start rolling out the drums. Not, not like the music drums, though. No, more it, like vats. Yeah, and it wasn't Kool Aid; it was Flavor Aid. It was Flavor Aid. I mean, it was off-brand Kool Aid. I yeah. mean, how awful is that? You don't even have like the real thing, and it's just stock full of cyanide. There's that too, which yeah. is. I don't know if they got the real stuff or off-brand. Off-brand cyanide, generic <laughs> yeah. cyanide, generic cyanide. I'm not sure. It did say cyanide. It did say it was... cyanide on the bottles. I, I watched some of the, the footage. <laughs> and, oh my god. That's that's one of the most powerful images, like, ever. That, if you look at it, it just, it sears into your brain. Uh, the aftermath of, of what is about to happen. Yeah. Jim knows that. They just killed a fucking congressman. They just killed a congressman. There's no way out of this. They're gonna come after him, and but he's not gonna he's not gonna take him just himself out. He's he's gonna take everyone. He's not gonna take this lying down. I mean, well, him. he's gonna take it lying down, but he won't be able to get back up. There's a tape. It's called like the. It's known as the death tape. You can listen to it on YouTube. I listened to the whole thing all the way through. It's 48 minutes long. 
And uh, like the Department of Justice uh, FBI website also has a full transcript of it if, you know, you're having trouble listening to it. It's right. It is a little bit difficult to listen to just because of the sound quality. And there's also a bunch of like babies and children crying, which eventually stop at the end, which is actually kind of more fucked up than hearing them all cry. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just crazy. The, you get to hear him, though, and and just what he's saying. So he basically calls everyone out to the pavilion. It, it's white night time. Yep. But for real. And don't bring your weapons. Well, not all of you. <laughs> Only the guards bring your weapons. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, he basically tells the congregation that the congressman's dead. They're all going to come for us. The Guyanese soldiers are going to come for us. They're going to come, and they're going to castrate you and torture you, and they're going to torture your children. It is over. We have, because of these few dissenters that decided to leave, now the whole thing is over for everyone and we ha- and it's time for us to commit mass suicide. And many just do. They do. They do. The there's nurses working there and they had for like the last uh, hour or whatever they've been working on the Kool-Aid, the flavor aid. Yeah. Getting it mixed and getting all the uh, cyanide mixed into it they also brought out a lot of syringes with and without needles so the the ones without needles you just squirt into your mouth right and that was done to a lot of the children those that were you know big enough and not resisting yeah and then anyone who was resisting whether it be a child or an adult or if it was like a baby um they were injected with the cyanide it's just creepy to listen to. Yeah, well, you're listening to hundreds of people die. Yeah. While listening to some fucking psychopath pile of shit drone on about bullshit. Jones says, I have loved you. How very much I have tried my best to give you the good life. In spite of all that I've tried a handful of our people with their lies have made our life impossible. There's no way to detach ourselves from what's happened today. We're in a compound situation. Not only are there those who have left and committed the betrayal of the century, some have stolen children from others and then seek right now to kill them because they stole their children. And we are sitting here waiting on a powder keg. I don't think it is what we want to do with our babies. I don't think that's what we had in mind to do with our babies. It was said by the greatest of prophets from time immemorial. No man takes my life from me. I lay my life down. There you go. People are clapping. People are cheering. This one woman, Christine Miller, you hear her pipe up, though, and say, but I think our our children deserve to live. And he replies back, but don't they deserve peace? And what's even more awful than his response is so many members just start shouting at her and jumping all over her. Siding with Jim saying like, look, you know, you're only alive today because of, of Jim. And, you know, we'll we'll do whatever you say, father. And we're we're ready to go to the end. And... 
she's just uh trying to get the idea across like no i'm i'm i still have the right to choose whether i live or die and that's the point when it's just like actually no you don't a lot of people seem to have voluntarily taken the Kool-Aid slash Flavor-Aid slash Poison of their own free will, but how, how, when can you say it's really free will when you have, like, armed guards there? Yeah, that's true. Because the handful of people that actually survived that part of the massacre that were actually in the Jonestown compound when it happened, I mean, there there's four people. There's four people that survived and then there was like four people that survived because they were sent away. Oh. One of them is is Larry Layton. The the guys from the 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 tractor all come back but not Layton. He's detained by Guyanese authorities. He doesn't quite get away. He doesn't so. quite get away. And then four other members are actually given suitcases filled with cash. And told to send it over to the Russian embassy. Probably just kind of like as like a last like fuck you. Right. Like and fuck like, it. Here's money to the Russians. Here's money money to the Russians because we love communism. Yeah. It's like here you go comrades. Take this money. Now what's really fucked up is that. Tim Carter the one who had uh, you know gotten the, the terrible chill and the evil foreboding. Yeah yeah. He was, like, away getting, like, the suitcases and everything, like, handed to him and getting the instructions when the killings began and the suicides began. So he didn't quite understand what was going on. And then briefly, they're kind of brought back to the pavilion. And he comes back just in time to see his 15-month-old son die. Oh, good. And his wife is dying. She dies in his arms. And he's just, I mean, he's just shattered. Yeah, I'm and he sure. doesn't know what to do. He he wants he kind of wants to die too, but he's just confused and just you know goes with the other three guys and just like okay, let's start making our way through the jungle and and as he does, he's just kind of like you know what, fuck this. I don't want to have anything to do with Jim. I don't want to have anything to do with the fucking Russians. So they just kind of abandon the suitcases, huh, in the forest and uh, make their way to civilization. Also doing this at the same time are 11 church members who kind of left like right at the beginning of that morning, knowing it was kind of going to be in a little bit of an uproar because Congressman Ryan was still there. And there yeah. was like the people saying they wanted to leave. And so they kind of took the opportunity to kind of quietly sneak away. Go off in a, a different, a less, uh, yes. a less public route than yes. with uh, the than people that were going to get killed. Than with the ones who were openly leaving, yeah. And it's possible they were somehow privy to the information that those people were going to get killed. Of those 11 people, four were small children. And they walked 30 miles through the jungle to get, before they got picked up by Guyanese, like, close to another town. Wow. Yeah. That was Richard Clark, Julius Evans, Sandra Evans, Sonia Evans, Sharla Evans, Sherelle Evans, Johnny Franklin, Diane Louie, Robert Paul, Leslie Wilson, and Jakari Wilson. Leslie Wilson was 21 years old. Her son Jakari was three years old. She carried him. She strapped wow. him to her body with a sheet. And just and just walked Damn. thirty miles through the jungle to to get away. 
her husband was like big into it, you know, like yeah. like a total 100% into it. She couldn't even tell him that she was planning on leaving. She managed to get get the baby and she told her husband they were going to go on a picnic and he was a little bit distracted by what was going on. So he was just like, that's not a very good idea, but, you know, just didn't really say anything more. And she was just freaking out and just gets her son and they start walking and just terrified the whole time. Yeah. And her husband, along with some other members, actually intercepted the truck before it got to the airstrip. Oh. Yeah. Before the people with the with the, the guns showed up and started shooting everyone, this other truckload of uh, members come and they're just kind of like, oh, shit, what's going on? And it was actually him. He was looking for his wife and child who had disappeared. Right. Wow. He finally noticed that she was missing. He was like, hey, is my wife like with this group of people that's leaving? It's like, no, nope, she ain't here, dude. Sorry. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, all right. And they just kind of go back to the compound. Wow. But yeah. She, but that's because his wife was being a fucking badass. And yeah, totally. Carrying their child. Strap with, the baby to me with a sheet and get the fuck out of Dodge. Mm-hmm, walking for 30 miles that's in a, the jungle. Yeah, that man. is a, that is a long way to walk. And that's not like walking on. I mean, I would have. I mean, five miles is like long, like on flat surface. Through the you know? jungle. 30 Through the miles. Yeah. Jungle, 30 fucking miles. I mean, who knows what's biting you? It's hot. It's. Yeah. Man. Yeah. No good. That is, that is some bravery right there. It definitely. If you listen to the recording, it's just terrible. So the parents are injecting or giving their children the cyanide voluntarily, but with armed guards looking on. Just in case. Just in case. And... One of the nurses is is saying on the tape, you can hear her saying, like, now, you know, it's just a little bitter tasting. They're not crying because they're in pain. Yeah. They just don't like the taste. They just don't like the taste. It's all painless. It's great. And, and you know, you hear Jim Jones. He's like, come, children, come. Come drink the poison. He doesn't say that exactly, but... That's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. And then you hear some noise in the background, and it's his wife. It's Marceline, who is screaming and hysterical over what's happening. Like, kind of like, no, stop this. And he's like, mother, 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 please, please. You know, none of this. None of this hysterics. You know, go lay with your children. Go with your children. She's actually physically restrained. And has to continue to be restrained until the last child dies. Oh, I'm sure. And then once that happens, she stops resisting and goes up and gets her cup of Kool-Aid and drinks it and dies. Yeah. She wanted to at that point. Yes. And any adult who also resists is, is held down and injected. Oh, of course. I mean, everyone dies. Everyone dies and as the recording goes on you just hear less and less background noise yeah there's less and less because there's less and less people and when you think of it we're talking over 900 people that's insane that is a lot of motherfucking people this was the largest like death of american citizens at one time until 9-11 yeah. 
some of the last things that you hear recorded once you stop hearing the cries of children, the sounds of babies crying, because mostly they've all been given the cyanide at this point. And so at this point, Jim's calling for, you know, another vat to be brought out. And so like the adults can all begin. And he says, the vat, the green, okay, please bring it here so the adults can begin. Beg you, don't, don't fail to follow my advice. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. You have to step across. We used to sing this world. This world's not our home. Well, it sure isn't. Can some people assure these children of the relaxation of stepping over to the next plane? Because there's still a few children left at this point, probably the ones that are kind of old enough to be like, what the fuck? Right. Like, you know, please, please just tell them it's okay. Let's set an example for others. You set 1,000 people who say, we don't like the way the world is. Take our life from us. We laid it down. We got tired. I'm saying it in my Jim Jones voice. He says, we got tired. You can tell he really is tired. I mean, well, it's been a long couple of days. Lots of drugs for the past <laughs> several years. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. And at that point, you hear some music playing, a little shuffling, and then silence. There's actually about, like, a good, I don't know, about 30 seconds of just complete silence before the tape actually ends. And that ends Jim Jones. That It's unknown whether Jim Jones ended himself or he had one of his nurses do it for him because in the end, Jim Jones couldn't even go the same way he watched all his members go. Because cyanide is cyanide's a terrible fucking death. Yeah. It's not painless. It is not. It doesn't painless. like make all of your cells suffocate basically. Yes, it makes it so you can no longer absorb oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely horrendous. So it's a very slow suffocation. Yeah. I think I guess the only plus side to it, I guess, is that you're not it's like a chemical suffocation, so you're still able to breathe. So it's not something where it's like you're drowning and you right, are trying right. to hold your breath until you just can't anymore and you have to suck in a bunch of water or you're being smothered to where you can't draw a breath in. But it's awful. It's awful. And and you being able to breathe is only the mechanical function of it. You're breathing, but no oxygen is is uh getting, getting anywhere getting yeah. anywhere to your heart to your brain uh so you are still suffocating and and so it takes about 5 minutes and it's a weird thing because the bodies weren't found in ways that contorted and like curled into a ball on the ground they're all very nicely laid out. They were just kind of fallen over on each other, and a lot of them have their arms around each other. Which is not really what I would expect someone writhing in pain from cyanide poisoning to have done. Right. It's interesting. Well, probably, I mean, if you if you were just kind of accepting it, it was slow and, and agonizing, but I don't know. I don't know either. 
I mean, when you're riding around in pain, that you it de- actually takes quite a bit of oxygen for you to to move that much. Yeah. And if your body is no longer absorbing it, um, it, it's I I would think of it more as like you're unable. It's more like kind of like lethal injection where you're like you're you're kind of paralyzed and unable to move. That could be. I don't really know. That's just how I picture it. That could be. It could be. I don't. I don't really know the the mechanics of cyanide besides the fact that you're suffocating to death. Your cells are suffocating to death. All I know is that the people look very peaceful there with their arms around each other and like it was all voluntary. But uh, other in, there's eyewitness accounts and uh, post mortem evidence that it was anything but not. Like, yeah. You know, injection marks on people. Yeah. Uh, the fact that, yeah, you know, cyanide is not a, a painless death. Not even a little. And Jim Jones either shot himself in the head or had one of his nurses shoot him in the head in the end. So he wouldn't, he saw how they were going and wouldn't was... even do that for himself. Well. Wouldn't even do that for himself. It was all about him anyway. It was all about him anyway. The nurse that they think shot him also shot herself and she there's a lot to read on it she wrote a whole like last letter and did a whole recording of her own i I would suggest you go out and uh listen to some of it because it's it's pretty compelling stuff briefly i do want to talk about georgetown all right because right as this is all starting the the mass suicide mass murder is about to begin jim radios to Sharon Amos, who is a hardcore follower. She's been kind of sent as a chaperone to two of his sons. Oh. Yeah, I imagine one of the reasons that Marceline Joan, well, I think she loved all the children, but two of her own grandchildren by her adopt and her adopted children were among the people that are, you know, being... Taking cyanide. Yeah, taking cyanide and being forced to take cyanide cyanide whatever uh agnes and lou i know for sure those two were there and that lou had a like a two-year-old son terrible terrible jim's biological son steven and jim jones jr has one of his adopted sons they were not on the compound though they were in georgetown playing of all things they were playing a basketball tournament against the guyanese what? like locals yeah all right and they were there to represent Jonestown in Georgetown. Crazy. But Sheer and Amos had been sent with them kind of as a like, chaperone. Keep these boys out of yeah, trouble. you better keep these boys out of trouble. You keep them in line. He radios and gives the code to Jim Jones Jr. And Sharon is in the radio room with him saying, like, it's time. You know, he says it in code, but just like the congressman is dead. Uh, you need to kill everyone that belongs to the church or any family members that are out there, you need to kill them and take revenge. And then you need to kill yourself. Like it, it's, it's, it's go end time. time. It is, it is go time and end time. And Jim Jones Jr. Is just like, no dad, like, can we not like there, we, we don't have to do this. And, and you were serious about that. Yeah. <laughs> like seriously. I mean, it been drilled in so many times but he never thought it was actually going to happen right he's like yeah of course dad. Mm-hmm. yeah dad so he goes and he tells his brother steven and the two of them are just like they are directed to forward the message on to the san francisco to the folks in san francisco they're they're told to kind of oversee everyone in georgetown killing 
any dissenters or relatives that are there and then killing themselves. Yeah. And then they are going to pass the message. They're told to pass the message along to the San Francisco branch. Where that was going to happen there. That was going to happen there. And Steven and Jim Jr. are just like, no, we're fucking not doing that sounds like a shitty idea uh-huh like so we're pretty young and don't really want to die yet they refuse they refuse to do it and probably are a lot of people were saved because they refused oh yeah well anyone around them certainly because if i think if they had passed on the message um People would have done it. Oh, yeah. Then I'd been like, oh, it's orders from father, he says. Yeah. And so there would have been the people, you know, that was around them and there would mm-hmm. be the people in America. That would – it could have been a, a really – I mean, it was – it's still – 900 people is a lot of people. But, I mean, across three different locations, that would have been – Yeah. I mean, man. Jim Jr. and Stephen both go to the embassy because they are going to try and stop – what's gonna happen they go to the u.s embassy out there in georgetown and they're like dude get a helicopter we got to get out there you don't understand like my father's crazy he's gonna kill himself and and he's gonna make everybody kill themselves or kill them all and the embassy was kind of like it's saturday (laughs) they're like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i think there's somebody there like kind of like over the intercom oh right door yeah and just like sir we're closed god it probably it would have been too late anyway. I mean, yo, yeah, there was no. They were hours them. away. They were hours away by plane or helicopter. It would have by the time they got there, everyone would have been fucking dead. No, oh, yeah, but it's still it's kind of tragic that the embassy was like, "Oh, sorry, it's the weekend." Like, yeah, we just don't have the facilities. Mm-hmm. We, don't have, we don't have the stuff. Yeah. Now, when they left to go try and and get some help and to also spread the word to other people that were there that. You know, I don't care what you hear. Do not do this. Right. This is not going to happen here. Well, Sharon Amos took it pretty seriously. They come back to the the headquarters or apartments that they had over there. She's got a gun. She's in the bathroom and she has killed herself, her 21-year-old daughter and her two younger children. Um all their throats were cut. Oh, good. Because, you know, they didn't have any of the cyanide. Right, so they had to do it in a she had like, horrific way. She had to improvise. A more horrific way. And her own throat was cut. They managed to intervene uh, another church, adult church member attempting to cut a girl named Stephanie's throat. God. And they managed to pull her out of the bathroom. Uh, she had a scar for the, you know, if if she's still alive. I mean, she lived through the the massacre i don't know what happened to her after that right right but jim jones jr said like she has a scar to this day oh yeah across her throat but they managed to uh save her and and contact the police and the police came and intervened there and the guy actually uh ended up in guyanese prison for attempted murder but never was charged in the u.s the only one who was actually charged in the u.s after he served 18 months in guyana was larry layton oh yeah um yeah well (laughs) fuck him Oddly enough, he they really threw the book at him. They got him for conspiracy to commit because it was conspiracy to commit murder against uh Congressman Ryan. Now he yeah. wasn't the one who actually shot him. He definitely shot Vernon and he shot uh Monica Bagby, neither of which died, but he was still in on it. He was still trying to carry out Jim's orders to 
kill. And, oh, yeah. And, I mean, uh, <laughs> he was sentenced to life in prison, but actually was paroled in like 2002. Really? Yes. Wow. That, life in prison doesn't mean what it used to, I guess. Well, sometimes there's life in prison with the possibility of parole still. Oh, okay. I see. And then there's life in prison without the possibility of parole, like real life in prison. I don't yeah. know why they call it life in prison if you still have the possibility of parole, but I don't know. He was actually um, he was actually a model prisoner, if you can believe that. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess he's <laughs> he was used to being bossed around. Without a single write-up or disciplinary action against him. He's used to taking orders. The next day after the, you know, everything going on in Georgetown and at the airstrip is when the Guyanese soldiers come in. And as far as they know, it's been radio silence. They've gotten reports of the, they know about the shooting on the airstrip. Yeah. They know about what the, the sons have reported from Georgetown. So they think they're kind of maybe walking into an ambush. It's, it's just thick with fog. It's uh you know, they don't know what to expect as the fog lifts. They just, they can't even bodies bodies. He's like, they're just everywhere. They're piled up everywhere. What's piled up bodies. Nine, like nine hundred ish people. Yeah, I believe That's it was nine hundred and eight people, nine hundred ten people. Uh, you know, every report is a little bit different because. That's just so so massive. Yeah, the amount that's, of people. that's a shitload of people. And and that's when I was talking about with the image, the image of nine hundred people surrounding that compound, just dead on the ground. It's just, it just boggles the mind. That was like it's that Carter incredible. rally before Jim Jones showed up, <laughs> or after Jim Jones showed up, I guess. Suddenly, a whole bunch of people. Suddenly, a whole bunch of people. I think there was like maybe nine hundred eighty-six total that had gone to Jonestown. Something along those lines. There was there's 33 that survived the actual massacre. Uh, there was the 11 that I named that got out through the jungle. Yeah, the ones that actually got on the plane and out of there uh, after they some of them had to go to the hospital because of the whole getting shot thing. Getting shot yeah. thing. That was Monica Bagby, Jim Bogue, Edith Bogue, Tina Bogue, Juanita Bogue, Tommy Bogue. Harold Cordell, Vernon Gosney, Chris O'Neill, Edith Parks, Gerald Parks, Dale Parks, Brenda Parks, Tracy Parks. Mike Carter and Tim Carter, along with Mike Prokes and Larry Layton, those were the four that were sent off with the, the three were sent off with the suitcases. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we all know what, uh, you know. Well, Larry did. Yep. <laughs> Mike Prokes would actually uh, kill himself like four months later. Oh, wow. Because he was just so fucked up just, over the whole thing. Yeah, I like Survivor's that. guilt. Yeah, just I can see all that. that. And then four people lived through the mass suicide, and that was Stanley Clayton, Grover Davis, Ordell Rhodes, and Hyacinth Thrash. She had hid under the bed when oh, they were called out. and they just out. didn't find her. Uh, yeah, and and Stanley and uh, Odell, they were both kind of hustled out there, but they managed to kind of like wait it out until enough people had died that they managed to kind of like, you know, break away yeah, and hide. People weren't paying so much attention anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then Grover Davis, also 79, also I think kind of like hid from the beginning. He kind of like slipped away uh, right before it all started. Obviously, the two surviving the surviving children. I think a couple more of his adopted children 
either weren't there or survived the incident, but the ones yeah. that you most prominently hear of is Stephen and Jim Jones Jr. Yeah, oh, and they're yeah. they're very much involved in like you know helping those that they could help, but have I'm sure had to fight their own demons and oh uh, yeah, survive. I'm sure. I mean, it. my God, they. They grew up with that man. They grew up with that man. They their mom died. Their siblings died. Their father. Died. I mean, everybody the, died. Everyone they ever knew died. Everyone they ever knew Almost, and grew up with died. Yeah. And of course, you feel you've got to feel so much survivor's guilt over that. Um, and I'm, this is guilt because it was your family. Yeah, but I think like how how wonderful that they that they lived because. I think if they weren't around and some of the other uh, people who survived, you would have no perspective. Yeah, true. On, you would just think that these were a bunch of quacks who just voluntarily killed themselves out in the middle of the jungle because they were just, you know, they were sheep and they were nuts and yeah, yeah. and and they're just total whack jobs. But that's not the case at all. And so, I'm going to end this with a quote from Stephen Jones. And I think it's a really, uh, it's a great one. Ask yourself, what would someone have to tell you or what would someone have to do to you to get you to do something that you couldn't possibly believe you were capable of and examine that? Learn from it. Don't judge it. Don't stand separate from it. Be willing to stand in the shoes of the people you are judging. And I hope that 900 plus, that they died and that the way that they died might offer us something so that their lives won't be in vain. Goddamn. Yeah. I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to view any situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. I think a lot of us could could benefit from that. I think that everybody could benefit from that. Yeah. Now and at any time. But a lot now. Yes. <laughs> and a lot anytime too. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, there is so much out there to read. Uh, I think Jim Jones Jr., Stephen Jones have written books. Some of the reporters have written there lots of people have written books. There's lots of uh, news footage is available. There's, I mean, there's actual news footage. Uh, there's lots of documentaries. Like go and there's so much more information out there that is available, and that I highly recommend you explore all of the information that is out there because it's it's some pretty powerful stuff. It's vast. It is vast, and it's something that I hope a lot of us can learn from. Yeah, don't follow any whack jobs out to the middle <laughs> of nowhere. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you or the Flavor-Aid. Or the Flavor-Aid. And if you didn't know what that phrase meant before... Now you do. Now you do. If you'd like to take a look at our social medias, we're every place that we are as Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Stranger Than Podcast. $1, $2, and $5. $1 is just because you love us. $2 gets you ad-free episodes, and $5 gets you a monthly bonus episode. Also, check out the podcast syndicate we're a part of, ageofradio.org, and listen to the other podcasts. There's a whole lot of good ones out there. A whole slew of them. And with that, we will talk to you next time. And stay strange.